to the label 1976 podcast thank you for tuning in what that body do i can tell you what my body don't do anymore hella things it is so crazy like i really didn't realize that there would actually be changes like i thought that was like a myth i thought that people were just saying that like you ain't gonna have that body forever girl better use it while you got it i thought all that stuff was just like i'm like no you just lazy there's no that's not what's gonna happen it's fine as long as you take care of yourself blah blah or if you don't really take care of yourself in your younger years you still have a lot of years to get it together and it's gonna bounce back like it never left kind of thing i don't know why i always thought that but i did I guess you can chalk it up to my positive nature at times. I say positive nature at times, meaning the right time. Like, don't catch me at 7 o'clock in the morning and then think it's going to be a positive nature because then you can catch me outside. See how it flips? It just flips up like that kind of thing. (laughs) So I'm a good balance of positive and get out my face. I am. Let's just keep it real. I'm all about keeping it real. So tell y'all, I went on a um, little doctor's visit the other day for um my hands because like i used to be in customer service for like 25 years since a wee lad you know after a period of time with typing all the time or not keeping your hands in the right positions when you're typing i type fast but i don't like keep my fingers on the home keys i'm a ghetto typist if you will but i get the job done in a 65 words per minute don't try me so i'm trying to i'm doing my little stretches uh after i worked out and everything and steaming my face and stuff i'm just having my own little meditation yoga moment kind of thing (laughs) while i was watching tv i was just doing a lot at once i tried to get up off the floor and so i put my hands down you know you put your hands down to to push yourself up my wrists were like just just can we just sit down for a good 15 more minutes and just think about it let's prepare the get up let's prepare it So I'm thinking to myself, like, what is going on? Because I already, I wasn't, well, I was kind of diagnosed with carbitonal. I don't know how you get kind of diagnosed. I was diagnosed with it, but I haven't been having, like, any, like, irritation for, like, the last four months. Because I got some little cortisone shot things that you have to get when you're, you know, diagnosed with carbitonal. So I'm thinking, trying to get, stay ahead of myself, I need to go ahead and go to the doctor and get these shots again, because this can't be, I'm like, I'm only like, I had to get up. I, you would think I was way larger than I was trying to get up off the floor. I'm like, something is just not right. So go to the orthopedic and the original doctor that I saw was actually out. So his stand in comes in. He's just like, you know, so what seems to be the problem, blah, blah. So I tell him, we're sitting there talking about it. And I'm telling him, you know, like, I've had this before. You can read my chart. I feel like it may be coming back because I tried to get up and it just feels like it's pushing on my wrist. It's kind of hard to, like, pull back covers. Just like regular everyday things. It just seems like I'm exact, my, my, I'm just tired or like my arms feel just exhausted and I haven't been doing a lot of things. 
So he's just like, yeah, um, you know, well, things, it could be that, or it also could be, you know, things change and everything. Like, after we get over a certain age, things change, and, you know, like, I woke up this morning, and I've had the same crook in my neck for, like, the last two weeks, and I was just thinking, I just turned 30, like, a couple of years ago. So I do this thing where when someone says something and I'm sitting there talking to them and we're having a full-on conversation, my brain or like my left side of my brain will still be talking to you, but then my right side is sitting here questioning everything that you just said. I think maybe everybody does that. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm finding that here lately, I do it way more than I used to. So I'm sitting there like, okay, a couple of years ago, these doctors are getting younger and younger, and it really put me in. I think I felt the gravity of my age at that moment. That to me was like a huge wake up moment. Like, yeah, you are right. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just me in my mid 40s now. Maybe this is just how your body changes. And I've said it before on a episode previously, health as well. Um, I'm all too aware of health as wealth and that things happen over time. But I think that my mind wasn't really calculating that, hey, maybe this is just happening and it might not be a diagnosis type of thing. That's something that you have to get diagnosed and something that, you know, you need to, you want to put a label on it so you know how to fix it. Maybe this is just what happens is basically what he was trying to say to me. I took it that way after we were sitting there talking but he tried to put it as nice as he could, which is great. Kudos to him. He was so nice and everything, but I, I got it. He had a great bedside manner. I got it, but I'm still going to get like a nerve study because I know a couple of people that have had carpal tunnel surgery. It doesn't help anything. So if this is just something where I need to be at the gym and just do some wrist raises or whatever. But other than that, I'll just continue squeezing these little balls because, you know, the little rubber uh, like styrofoam little balls that they give you to squeeze whenever you used to work in call centers back in the day and a customer would make you really angry and they would think for some reason that that little ball was the equivalent to the person's head that you might want to smush that type of thing those balls not the other balls no speaking of balls um let's move on to my things you possibly perhaps didn't know because you have to have balls meaning be a male to come up with this sport so the sport um is called human hunting and for those who possibly perhaps didn't know, human hunting refers to humans being hunted and killed for other person's revenge, pleasure, entertainment, sports, or sustenance. Because, you know, we do have cannibals. People don't really like to talk about that a lot. It's not just zombies. Real people eat real people. They do. I'm sure they uh, live in fairly untouched places and places I never hope to ever go. At any rate, um, there have actually been historical incidents of incidences of um, this practice being carried out during times of social upheaval. Hey, it could that could even be 2021, you know? Um, a 2016 report by Daniel Wright, which is a he's a um, senior uh, lecturer in tourism at the University of Central Lancaster, predicts that the hunting of the poor will become a hobby of the super rich in the future, plagued by economic and ecological disasters and overpopulation. Okay, so just to give you a couple of um, historical examples, um, in ancient Greece, the upper class of Sparta regularly practiced the stalking and killing of members of their servile uh, population, so servants. Um, such murders were carried out both by the secret police um, and uh, it was basically a means of keeping all the um, underprivileged um, to always cower and, and make them unlikely to revolt. Um, and also as a part of military training for the uh, Spartan youths, you know. 
And also uh, during the California genocide, indigenous people were hunted down and killed for bounties in revenge for killing of the white settlers. And also during the Spanish Civil War, the killing practice became popular among the sons of wealthy, wealthy landowners. Uh, the hunts took place on horseback and targeted landless peasants as an extension of the white terror. And they would actually um, jokingly refer to it as uh, mass graves. Um, so they put it in, in Spanish term, reforma agaria, and that was referencing mass graves. The victims would be dumped into, um, it was referring to the mass graves that the victims would be dumped into and the land reforms, the lower classes have been attempting to attain. So basically these mass graves were on the land that the lower class people were trying to obtain. So attain, basically, were trying to get. And, yeah, they would kill them and then put them in mass graves on this land. Now, that is just barbaric. And I came across another individual. This is the first time I ever came across this man in my life. I've never heard of him. Um, but this guy, actually, July 18th of 1984, his name was James Oliver Herberty. He walked into a McDonald's in California. Um, I want to say the name of this uh, city is San Sidaro. Um, yeah, San Sidaro McDonald's and committed the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history at the time. Now, this was in 1984. Um, he basically one day just got up, kissed his wife uh, goodbye before telling her he was going hunting. He was going hunting for humans. Now, I never heard of him, so I pulled up his name, James Oliver Herberty, and I'll put him in my little um, summary. But man, I looked him up and this shooting like the whole spree was ridiculous it was gruesome it was disgusting it was uh just something that I, it, I was taken aback I was and I watched horror movies I nothing a lot doesn't make me flinch but this actually did because it happened in real life and it was just uh, it, was, it was just crazy like he just walked in McDonald's and just started shooting everybody and the shooting lasts for 77 minutes so he walked to McDonald's at 3.56 p.m. and he wasn't stopped until 5.17 p.m. So that's 77 minutes of terror. And he was shooting babies. He was in there shooting babies. He shot like an eight-month-old. He shot like a six-month-old. He shot a 18-year-old woman that was pregnant, like eight months pregnant. He shot teenagers. He shot elderly people. It was like some of the, um, the elderly couple was getting out of their car not know and to go inside for lunch or whatever, not knowing what was going on. And so the elderly man is helping his wife out of the car. He comes up and he shoots the wife in the face, then shot the husband like he was off that whole day. And he kept saying that he had served for um, he had served in the war, the Vietnam War, whenever they found him and gunned him down and everything. Um, when they went through his past history, they had found that he had never served in any war. He was never in the military at all. So this is just a straight up psychopath, just on the loose. Like what always gets me about these kind of stories is that these are men that are married and have families. Like they pick and choose. And that always is just, I, I hate to use the word astonishing, but it just is to me because they have their picks and chooses. And how can you, you have a whole normal life. I mean, of course it would be a bit of schizophrenia, right? Schizophrenic, manic depressant. He called the non-emergency 911 number. I want to say two days before his spree, 
and told them that he was thinking about doing some harm, but the girl was like, he sounded all calm, and that um, didn't sound like he was a threat to anybody, and that they would call him back, and that she had spelled his name, his last name wrong, and put him on the uh, not like high alert list, so they had to call him back 48 hours later. The next day is when he did this whole spree. The ball was definitely dropped here, because even when the dispatcher actually when there was a 911 call coming from the McDonald's letting them know about the shooting, the dispatcher that took the call gave the police officers the wrong address for the McDonald's. So that delayed the police getting to that location. Like it was just mishaps all the way around with this one. It's, it's, it's very, very sad. And I'm sorry, I'm just learning, learning about this. But this was like a big deal. It was a huge thing back in 1984. But at any rate, um, I ran across one more guy um, that was doing human hunting. So this guy in particular, his name was uh, Robert Hansen. So Robert Hansen, this one right here. Now, if you ever, if you pull him up on uh, Wikipedia as well, I'm going to give his information. Um, so he was known as the Butcher Baker. Um, and he was actually American serial killer between 1971 and 1983. Um, he abducted, raped, murdered at least 17 women in and around Anchorage, Alaska. So what he would do is he would um, he flew many of his victims into the Alaskan uh, wilderness and then he released them so he could hunt the women uh, with a rifle and a knife. Now, he had the same pretty much M.O. that most serial killers do have. Uh, that live in America that are um, Caucasian men. Usually they have a rough childhood. Uh, nobody likes them in high school. The girls don't like them. Uh, they get beat up a lot. They're loner um, type of thing. And then they turn into the serial killers in secret. Like he had, he was married twice, had two kids, you know, yet again, married twice. Two divorces, two kids, didn't do anything to those women, but went outside of those women and killed everybody else because everybody else were harlots and sluts because that's just what they are. Um, and that's pretty much was his whole M.O. And he had gotten caught up a few times, had gotten caught by the cops and everything and talked his way completely out of it because he looked so meek and like he would never do that and just basically got slaps on the wrist the whole time. And so they, they finally found him and he just went ahead and crumbled and confessed after he had already killed 17 women and had like kept little memorabilia and things of that nature. So again, um, I'm team woman all day long and I hate to always <laughs> that my stuff here lately has been about protecting yourself. But see, this is what I mean. It has to be about protecting yourself. Like if I was to go into police work or anything like that like reading these kind of stories over and over and over again it would be very difficult to not view certain things and certain people certain ways so that's why I just stay in my podcasting lane boom stay right here because it is very mentally daunting uh, taxing to go through these things and learn about different things that you don't freaking have any idea have existed before now. I'm sorry, knowing that these, you didn't know these people existed until before now when looking them up. But I do it for y'all because I love learning new things and hope you do as well. This has been things you possibly perhaps did not know. I hope you learned something. Okay, so my topic for today is going to be the McMichael slash Brian trial. This is the murder trial for Ahmad Aubrey. 
trying to say that correctly because I know a lot of news outlets have been saying that it's the Ahmad Aubrey trial. It's not. He's not on trial. He was the actual victim. So I think that some kind of way it's getting flipped to where they're trying to name it the Ahmad Aubrey trial. No, that's not what it is. It's the McMichael Bryant murder trial because they murdered him in cold blood, pretty much, um, in my opinion. So I kind of try to stay away from these sort of things but I really wanted to talk talk about this one because it really it angers me and it just touches me in a different way because of how just blatantly racist the whole thing is just like the whole thing I just feel like they just set out to murder him and that is essentially what they did and then now they get to actually go and sit in front of a judge and be judged for this which I feel like it should be an open and shut case but of course it's not because everybody has rights um, it, it would appear that everybody has rights, but you know, we obviously do not. So just in case anyone has forgotten about this because it happened February 23rd of 2020. So this is a case where a young black man, 25, he was jogging in the neighborhood and on his uh, route, neighbors are saying he stopped appearing to an empty house that was on the market for sale. And it was also under construction. So he entered the uh, empty home to take a look. Then he continued to jog on. Now, what they're saying is this happened on several different occasions. Like he looked in the house um, several different times. Uh, several different neighbors saw him. Now, I know me for, I know me. Like if I'm jogging in a neighborhood and I see that it's an empty house and it's under construction and it's open, you just, you know, and you're, everybody's inquisitive. What is wrong with going into an open house and just looking around? It's not like anybody lives there and there are no doors on the hinges. I mean, it's open. I mean, come on. Everybody's curious about an open house that's just having construction done. What is the big deal? So basically, uh, one of the neighbors stated that they had some other black male before come to the home and he had uh, and they also had some car break ins previously that resulted in a car, uh, a gun being taken from travel Travis uh, McMichael's truck. So the neighbor stated that the owner of the home advised the neighbors to keep a lookout for suspicious activity. They deemed him stopping, stopping and looking into the home as suspicious. So one of the neighbors ends up calling 911. It's a non-emergency number. He didn't call the emergency number. He just said that this is a black male on the premises. I just saw him looking in and out of the house. The uh, young lady asked him, did the person, did the black male take anything? And he said, no, he just took off running. Now he was jogging in the neighborhood. So it details people your verbiage why would you say he took off running he was jogging he had on jogging clothes like he didn't take off running he just left the house from looking at it and started jogging so basically that's pretty much what he said to the 911 operator that he saw a black male looking in the in the uh, house and that he took off running so they made a note of the um interaction or whatever and he said as soon as he hung up the phone he heard three gunshots that was that. He walked outside. He rode up. Uh, he he walked outside, got on his bike, rode up the street, and that he saw Ahmad Aubrey laying in the street, bleeding out, and that he just turned back around on his bike and went back home. He couldn't believe what he had seen. So they were saying that um, Travis McMichael, which is the one that shot him, which is the son, um, that he was walking back and forth, and that the cops, the police officers, were actually right around the corner. This is in Glen County, Georgia. Um, I don't really know where Glen County is, uh, but, um, I think it's, if you don't live in Georgia, it's kind of like, it would be probably like the little country <laughs> part of Georgia, somewhere that's not close to Atlanta. 
Um, but yeah, so it looks like the actual population is 50% black. It is. So um, just keep that in mind. So it looks like um, that when everything was happening, uh, that they're, they're trying to say that they were trying to do a citizen's, citizen's arrest on Ahmad, that they were just trying to see if he had been the one robbing before, blah, blah. Basically, they didn't have any reason to be stopping him and harassing him other than that he was a black male on that street and that neighborhood doesn't really have a lot of black people that live in the neighborhood. That is essentially what it is. Now, what happened was they went, after they after they killed him, shot him dead and everything, um, they actually were out. They didn't even go to jail after that. They were out for two whole months. Two months, they didn't get arrested. So the father of the young man that shot Ahmad is actually used to be a um, investigator for the DA of Glenn County. That's why nobody was arrested at the time. So um, it looks like day of the shooting, the DA advised the police department no arrests uh, were to be made on two separate dates, though. She told them that the first date was the 23rd when Ahmad was shot. And then again on the 24th, uh, she told them no arrests were to be made. And then on April 2nd, the, um, the actual DA, the same DA, uh, she recused herself from the case because she knew she had already worked with McMichael before, which was the father of the shooter. So she removed her herself from the case. That means the case didn't go anywhere. They just had the case just sitting there. You have a man that is shot in the street that bled out. You have two of the people, three of the individuals that are responsible walking around. Nobody has been detained. Nobody. So then on uh, April the 2nd, the, cir the circuit district attorney, he recused himself from the case due to a connection between his son and Gregory McMichaels, which again, Gregory McMichaels is the father of Travis McMichaels, who shot Ahmaud Aubrey. So they were free for 74 days. This is a, it's a disgrace. Imagine your child dead in the street and the ones that did it, they're just out. Then Greg Mc, Gregory McMichaels, which is the father, he gave the video to a local attorney. They actually videoed it, gave the video to a local attorney. The attorney gave it over to someone else. It ended up on Twitter and YouTube. So that's how these guys even got arrested in the first place. Within hours of that video going out, the DA, Tom Durden, he sent the evidence to a grand jury to decide if charges would be filed and accepted. And, and well, actually, if charges would be filed. And then he accepted an offer from Governor Brian Kemp to get the GBI involved. That's the Georgia Bureau investigation. So, all right. Then they went to go through the, rig the rigorous um, process of getting people on the jury. So, off top, they're just like dismissing people from the jury. Like, some jurors were just questioning the murder charges. I said, you know, just X them off off top. You're not even here to do the right thing. Already, you're walking in the door wrong. So... They were trying to say they were going to move it, move this trial from Glenn County to Cobb County. I don't know why that never happened. Two separate DAs had already recused themselves from this case. Why was it still handled in Glenn County when evidently they're, they're dirty? They, they never had any intentions to do the right things. So the defense attorney for the actual Travis McMichael that shot Ahmaud Arbery, um, he's basically trying to sell it as this is a story about the McMichaels trying to keep Mr. Aubrey from coming closer to them while they're still tr simply trying to observe him. What? What are you talking about? The video shows them chasing him while he's jogging, then blocking him from going any further. 
So basically, in my opinion, they just knew or thought they'd get away with it. I mean, why not? They were already, they already weren't arrested. And then when they gave the video over, they're like high-siding? Are you basically just, just mushing it in people's face that you can just shoot a black person and just get away with it and you still just out walking around? Why would they give the video to somebody? So initially in the jury process um, of picking the juries last week, they basically, um, so Travis McMichael's attorney, which is the defendant, the defense attorney, Jason Steffield, he was alarmed that only 40% of the Glen County residents summoned for jury duty in the case. Um, yeah, he's stating that 40% of them didn't even show up. They're not, they weren't even trying to show up to court because this, this little area is so small that everybody knows everybody. Like everybody knows the police department, you know what I mean? So I know nobody, and they knew it was going to be an open, open case to where it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, broadcasted. Nobody wanted to be on camera that was in that jury because all these people know each other. Everybody knows each each other. And if the verdict is not one that the, probably the whole population wants to see, they are going to come for you. Your people, your own people are going to come for you if you say anything. That's what that says to me. If nobody's showing up and they're getting summons for these jury duties, then it's supposed to be a warrant for your arrest if you don't show up for jury, jury duty. It is. So, um... They finally ended up getting juries, getting getting jurors on it. Um, again, the population there is 50%. There is one black person on this jury and 11 Caucasian people. How is that a jury of, hold on, let me, let me phrase this right. How is this a jury that's going to be partial to the victim's plight? Like, how is this jury going to see this black man as being hunted down? when you you aren't a black man or you don't or you may not see racism or you think that everybody gets treated the same and some of the people that are on the jury because they give you they don't give you their pictures they give you a synopsis of each one and i mean you got some people on there on their 70s and 80s that live in glenn county georgia okay that speaks for itself now in reading some of the break breakdowns on their whole little makeup on each one of them it does seem like some people will be more um understanding but again, it is still, it's 11 white women on the jury, three white males and one black man. And so I just hope that justice prevails here. And, you know, the case is still broadcasting. It's still on the news right now. I just pray for the best. I do, because this is, this is unheard of. Well, no, it's, it's too, it's too heard of all the time. It's just time for people to really get taken down whenever they do things like this. If you can't be in society and you just want to shoot everybody based on something you don't like about them, then be in prison with other killers and y'all play together and stuff. Don't be out here with people that are sane and don't just want to walk down the street carrying guns because you think someone might have took, taken something. That's just like bringing a, bringing a gun to a fist fight. It's the same thing. What does burglary have to do with you a gun? You know what I'm saying? Like if somebody is, is robbing somebody, not robbing because a burglar isn't robbing. So if somebody's burglarizing a home, um, where does a gun come in? Like, so I'm just like, and he wasn't even burglarizing a home. Like, even if he was, like, where does the gun come in at? If this was a white male and you thought that the suspect was a white male in an empty house just looking through it or whatever, would you would you immediately go to your house and grab a shotgun, your dad grabs a nine, y'all start following the white man down the street, and then shoot him dead, talking about a citizen's arrest, we just want to talk to you, hold on while you got guns blaring and pointing at him, and you, you think he's going to stop? What person in their right mind is going to stop when somebody was has a gun 
chasing them, talking about, stop, this is going to be a citizen's arrest. And you know you're probably the only black person in that whole neighborhood. And you know these people are going to stay in their house and they're, they're seeing this happening in the street. See, this is why I don't really watch the news on a regular basis because I do get riled up like this on certain things. But I am glad that I am aware of certain things because you can't completely turn turn the news off 24-7 in your life and not know what's going on around you because you have to be aware of your surroundings and how the world is changing and all the different people that are around you and just be cognizant of where you are and where people's minds are. You know, no matter where you are and what state you live in, you just have to be aware of what's going on around you. And I'm just trying to stay abreast of all these situations. I don't feel like there are no allies. I don't feel like, oh, white people have to get black people. I don't feel like that. I just know that there's a lot of bad apples and the media um, definitely polarizes the bad apples as a whole. I think there's another trial going on right now, the Kyle Ritterhouse, I, I want to say. I'm not really going to follow that one because the fact that he's even on the stand testifying for himself, crying them fake white tears is all that I need. I wouldn't be surprised about the verdict at all. And he shot three, three people and went down there. He don't even live, didn't even live in that city, went and input and implanted himself in the middle of that riot. He went down there to kill people. He did, but it just is what it is. The world is crazy right now, but it always has been. So it's just getting worse, really. And nobody really has on mask anymore. And to me, it's not bad that people don't have on mask anymore. So I do know who you are and, and will treat you accordingly. So my prayers definitely go out to Ahmad Albury's family, keeping them in my prayers. But in closing on this, I do want to state that the now former DA, the initial DA, Jackie Johnson, she was booked on September the 8th for violation of oath and obstruction of justice for delaying the arrest of the suspects and mishandling the case. I actually jumped for joy on that day because the the universe is slowly handling all of it. She was later released on $10,000 bond. So what? she don't have to pay like a thousand to get out. But still, she was uh, the top prosecutor for the county when he was shot. So uh, she was charged after another Georgia Attorney General, Chris Carr, which was, was a Republican, requested an investigation of possible misconduct by the local prosecutor who failed to bring charges. So, um, yeah, they got her. They got her mug shot up and everything. Like, she looked crazy. I don't want to say, hate to say it, talk ill about her, but to me, she looked like she probably was um, fraternizing with him behind the scenes. Um, she looked like, uh, she's in on every conspiracy I've ever known of. She looked like she was in on, um, the Watergate scandal with, with Richard Nixon. She looked like she knew who shot JFK before we found out. She looked like she has a bottle of whiskey in her bottom drawer at her desk. She looked disheveled, like she lives under a trailer. Um, just all those things. She looked like a dirty, uh, widow. I don't know. Just a, she just looks dirty, like... She just is, is here with it. Like you just pay her $5 bills. You know, you give her like eight $5 bills and a rubber band and that's going to get your cousin out of jail. She looked like that kind of chick, man. She looked like she with all the shits. And I'm glad that she is getting prosecuted for this. And I hope that these charges stick and that she, you know, thinks, thinks long and hard about the oath that you've given to the state to uphold your office and to not do this again. Nowhere, no time ever again. So moving along right into my music spotlight, label 1976, my spotlight for today 
is going to be PM Dawn. Now, PM Dawn was a American hip-hop and R&B act that formed in 1988. It was two brothers, Rail Cortez and Prince B. And Prince B sometimes went by Nocturnal as well. They were actually a duo. I don't know if a lot of people remember, but yeah, they came out in like, like I said, they came out in 1988. So this was, I was young when they came out. Um, but still, they were rocking. It was like a um, two brothers and they recorded their debut single, Ode to a Forgetful Mind in 1988. They released their first album of the heart um, of the soul and the cross, the utopian experience. And it actually had critical acclaim and it had commercial um, success because of a single set adrift of memory bliss. I know everybody knows that song. Baby, you send me Um, But yeah, they got that. They sampled that from that song. I know this much is true. Anyway, I don't know if people know that song, but that song was hot. Um, but then they had a follow-up album, The Bliss Album, Vibrations of Love and Anger, and The Ponderance of Life and Existence. They were before their time. They were on to something. They probably were doing yoga back then, and y'all didn't even know it. Um, and then they had I Die Without You, and Looking Through Patience, Patient Eyes. And so they did really good for a while. Then they had their final album. It was called, it was in 1995, Jesus Wept. And Dearest Christian, I'm so very sorry for bringing you here, Love Dad, in 1988. And that one sold poorly, of course. I guess he was getting too deep. Don't know who names their album, Two Sentences, but all right. So then they went on and pretty much um, was just, um, they were really big in United Kingdom. And uh, they had an, uh, they actually had a manager named uh, Nick Hemmons. And they did a world tour. So... Prince B, which is the, I want to say he's the heaviest, heavyset one, he gave an interview to Details Magazine in which he expressed skepticism of rapper KRS's one activism. So he said KRS-One wants to be a teacher, but a teacher of what? And so then KRS-One and his crew, the Boogie Down Productions, I don't know if I remember them, responded by storming an actual uh, PM Dawn concert, and they forced the group off stage and started performing their songs, um, I'm Still Number One and The Bridge Is Over. And then, so KRS-One being, um, KRS-One, um, uh, he was trying to defend his actions to USA Today, and he did a remark that basically said, I answered his question, a teacher of what? And he said, I was answering his question talking about a teacher of respect. Basically letting them know, don't disrespect my name, I'm letting you know what it is, don't tell me that I'm not teaching nothing, because I still to this day don't really, I like KRS-One. And I liked his story storytelling techniques. I was just like never a huge fan, but I'm I'm you know I'm with the power them and public enemy, you know I'm all about teach one each one teach one. Um, so PM Dawn, um, they were pretty much like in and out. You probably don't remember a lot from them except except for that song "Set Adrift of Memory Bliss" and "I Die Without You." Um, actually, on June seventeenth, twenty sixteen. Uh, Prince B, which is the heavyset one, um, or Terrell Cordes, he died of a renal disease, and that is a kidney disease, and he, that basically is caused by complications of diabetes. He was 46 years old, and he passed in New Jersey. So, you guys, look up PM Dawn, set adrift from memory bliss, and go down memory lane. That is going to be my episode for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. 
My name is True Strive. Share this podcast wherever you want to share it. Let a friend know. And you can also follow the podcast at Spotify. Just follow me. You'll be notified of every episode, each episode when they come up on Thursdays. Also, I do have a blog label1976.blogspot.com and you can also follow me on Instagram at TrueStrob and on Facebook at TrueStrob. Until next time, please remember it's good to be loved but profound to be understood.